This bonus podcast episode was recorded by students at St. Olaf College in the American Conversations Project course, led by professors Colin Wells and Eric Fuhr Slocum. Thank you to the students and professors for putting these podcasts together. Learn more about them and the project on our podcast homepage. America has a problem. Actually, between the disastrous international effects of the coronavirus pandemic, the recently fallen stock market, and the ever-increasing risk of irreversible global climate change, it's safe to say that the U.S. is no stranger to bad news. Today, however, we'll turn our focus, if only for a moment, to an American problem that consistently flies under the radar, despite the significant implications it has on college students like ourselves across the nation. Student debt. As the days pass, a post-secondary education gets more and more expensive. Students are constantly asking themselves one question. How am I going to pay for college? Student loan debt in this country is now bigger than credit card debt. debt. has been steadily increasing over the last nine years to $1.5 trillion. 45 million Americans now labor under student loans. Clearly, there is a problem here. As rising tuition prices have forced millions to take out loans that take years to pay off, many students are starting to question the worth of a post-secondary education. Current estimates place total student loan debt at around $1.6 trillion, surpassing Americans' massive credit card debt. A 2014 study calculated that the average college student walks away with $29,400 worth of student loans at graduation. At the same time that students leave campus with degrees, Many also leave with empty pockets. Curious to learn more about the economic and cultural implications of an ever-increasing and malignant American problem, we began to wonder, why has student loan debt increased so dramatically since the first loans were created? What student debt policies are currently being proposed, and how will they prevent this economic problem from getting further out of hand in the future? How do 2020 presidential candidates respond to the student debt problem, and how are they influencing student voters with their own debt policy plans? With so many questions and no immediate answers in sight, we dug in with a bit of investigative research to better understand how student loans are weighing on the minds and pocketbooks of Americans. Let's start off with a little history. In 1958, the United States government created the first federal student loan policy to help people pay for college, aptly named the National Defense Student Loan Program. Since then, federal student loans have played a pivotal role in ensuring that American students have easy access to a post-secondary education. However, as we all know perhaps a little too well, student loans often lead to overwhelming levels of debt. In fact, this problem has been exacerbated to such an extreme that it is now referred to as the student debt crisis. In order to better understand just how far student debt has spun out of control, we'll take a look at some numbers. In 2003, collective student debt in the U.S. stood at $250 million. By 2013, that value reached a whopping $1.03 trillion, more than 4,000 times as much. Today, the total stands at over one and a half trillion. 
When we spoke with Carly Eichhorst, the director of financial aid at St. Olaf College, she noted that these monstrous numbers are concerning to many students and families. I think people are overall like really afraid about how much they borrow. So why has outstanding student loan debt increased so drastically? The most obvious reason is that the costs of a post-secondary education have increased faster than family incomes in recent decades. From 2000 to 2016, the average tuition at four-year institutions increased from $30,000 to $41,000. Carly explains that college tuition increases are due to the fact that higher education is a high-touch industry where new technology can't decrease costs like it does in other fields. So if you think about artisan industries, industries that just take a lot of like human touch points, higher education and healthcare are two classic artisan industries. The different technology tools that we're using isn't making our product cheaper, it isn't getting out to the masses in larger amounts. Additionally, higher education is currently following a high aid, high tuition model where schools are raising tuition in order to give greater merit aid. Here's Carly again. For students, like if you look at what merit aid was a decade ago or two decades ago, it was it was proportionately less as a as a as a ratio of what what we're charging students, and that merit aid has grown right as costs have increased. However, tuition prices are not the only reason student debt has increased. And it's important to note that total student debt isn't solely caused by increases in average debt per person. Part of the reason debt has climbed so high in the past couple decades is simply because more people are going to college. Between 2000 and 2017, the total number of students pursuing a post-secondary education grew from 13.2 million to 16.8 million. In order to aid the growing number of students participating in post-secondary education, the government has made student loans more accessible over time. In a series of policies implemented throughout the 70s and 80s, the government eliminated income requirements for student loans, allowing middle and high income students to qualify for federal loans along with low income students. Additionally, the Parent Loan for Undergraduate Students, or PLUS program was initiated, allowing parents to take out loans for their child's education. Another significant policy is income-based repayment. Introduced in 1994 under the name Income Contingent Repayment, these plans allow individuals to pay a fixed percentage of their discretionary income toward their loans for up to 25 years. After this repayment period, loans may be forgiven. Income-based repayment terms have become more generous over time, but the process of applying can be confusing, something Carly Eichhorst would like to see change. So if I could do anything, I would blow up the bureaucracy of applying for loan repayment programs. I think it should be automatic um, uh, income-based repayment for people who fall under a certain threshold. The federal government sits on this data already. They have all of our IRS information. It should be streamlined and made way more manageable on that front. To summarize, the increased cost of post-secondary education the increasing rate of higher education participation, and greater accessibility of loans over the years have encouraged more people to take out more money, contributing to the daunting $1.6 trillion of collective student debt Americans are faced with today. While student loan debt has increased overall, it is important to mention that this issue does not affect all Americans equally. Minority communities are disproportionately affected by student loan debt, a dilemma that Carly mentioned. 
Different communities have been preyed upon by the for-profit education industries, so particularly African-American communities. And so there are disproportionate levels of loan debt in many, many populations in America. The loan default rate is also significantly higher for certain populations. Because right now, the students who default, if you look at it nationally, the students who default tend to be students from underrepresented populations who have $5,000 of loan debt or less. For Estefany Vergara, a current student at Georgetown University majoring in government, this is unacceptable. You're widening that gap that everyone talks about where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. They can start affording this. They can afford this education, thus get greater pay, and the poor can't all over again. They just get poorer and poorer through generations, so systematically creating a problem here. With all this in mind, effective student debt relief policies should focus first on these students who are struggling most to pay off student loan debt. With an election coming up in the fall, the conversation around student debt is increasingly relevant because it is often an important factor in the decision-making of young voters. For Faith Gady, an American Studies and Psychology major at St. Olaf, student debt policy will be playing a critical role in her voting decision this November. As a college student, I'm looking for candidates who have a comprehensive plan for how to tackle the student debt issue. You know, I want I want someone who has a plan for how they're going to reduce student debt, or I want someone who has a plan for how they're going to stimulate the economy so that I'll be able to reasonably pay off my student debt. You know, I want someone who's going to help control the issue and who has a way to help reduce the factors that are causing the student debt ep epidemic. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest issues for me. Evie Slater, a political science major at St. Olaf, hopes that future debt policies will consider the interests of student borrowers like herself. Post-graduation, it's almost impossible to get a decent paying job without some level of college, especially growing up low income. Going to college was, um, it was a necessity, so it meant that student loans was an automatic, it was a given thing that I would have to deal with. And um, so I just kind of signed off on it without thinking about it because there was no other way to pay for college. And it definitely affected how I voted, for sure. And I think that it's super important to reduce this level of debt because so many people struggle with debt after graduation. Student debt is clearly an important issue to young voters. So as the 2020 election approaches, presidential candidates are making a conscious effort to attract younger generations through committed plans of action to ameliorate student debt. Let's take a closer look. Here's where we stand at this point in the election season. After Senator Bernie Sanders dropped out of the presidential race on Wednesday, April 8th, Joe Biden has all but secured the Democratic nomination, while his opponent, President Donald Trump, is running for a second term in office, unopposed within the Republican Party. So how do these candidates respond to the student debt problem? Donald Trump aims to end public service loan forgiveness, a program created in 2007 by former President George W. Bush. This policy forgives the student loans of people who are employed full-time in eligible federal, state, or local public service jobs or nonprofits. Trump argues that eliminating this program could potentially save the federal government billions of dollars, money that would otherwise be used to forgive the loan debt of students across the country. What's more, President Trump has proposed to cut $5.6 billion of funding to the U.S. Education Department in his new annual budget, money that is being used to fund the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, among others. While Senator Sanders is no longer a major contender in the 2020 presidential race, 
It's worth mentioning his proposal as well, which stands in stark contrast with Trump's policies. Not only did Sanders aim to, in his own words, cancel the entire $1.6 trillion in outstanding student debt for the 45 million borrowers, if elected, but he also promised to make public colleges and universities tuition-free for students through the passage of the College for All Act, a program that would have been funded through taxes of a fraction of a percent on Wall Street speculators. That leaves former Vice President Joe Biden, a candidate whose aid policy falls somewhere between the extremes of those proposed by Trump and Sanders. If elected, Biden will strive to make two-year community colleges and high-quality training programs tuition-free for students, and asserts that he will consider student loan forgiveness a national priority. Biden believes that the current loan forgiveness program in the United States is deeply flawed and hopes to replace it with a new one that will offer $10,000 in debt relief for each year of national or community service completed by students for up to five years. He argues that those with loan debt who make less than $25,000 a year should not be expected to make any payments on undergraduate loans under his new plan and that students who have been paying off loans for 20 years or more should have any remaining federal loans forgiven by the government. Biden estimates that this new higher education plan will cost a total of $750 billion over 10 years. Only time will tell how student debt policies may change in the future. With significantly different plans proposed by the remaining presidential candidates, the votes of those with loan debt may matter now more than ever. Student debt is certainly not a problem that can be solved overnight. Careful legislation, effort, and unfortunately, time, will all play critical roles in solving a national issue that continues to loom large in the lives of student borrowers. Until politicians adopt Senator Sanders' plan to provide a free public university education for all, students may continue to pinch pennies to cover rising tuition costs. So what can students do to navigate the challenges of student debt? First, keep in mind that not all schools are created equally, and pay attention to the loan default rates at different colleges. As Carly says, There's risk in borrowing at some places, and there's very little risk in borrowing at other schools. When it comes to how much to borrow, financial officers have a useful recommendation. It's kind of our industry rule of thumb that you shouldn't borrow more for your degree than it would be in your first year starting salary. And most importantly, Exercise your right to vote in order to create lasting change for borrowers across the country. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Find more bonus episodes on the same page. There are several for different issues of this election cycle from St. Olaf College students in the American Conversations Project. As always, let us know what you think at podcast at compact.org or hashtag compactnationpod and learn more about our show at compact.org slash podcast. And of course, rate us and review us anywhere you can.